Hi, Reid. It's Cliff at Triple M in Western Australia. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm okay. Thank you. Uh, I, I said to Greg on the email, you're going to have to allow about 15 seconds for me to gush because I'm a fan. Uh, I've, I've, been, <laughs> I've been listening to the podcast almost since the get-go, and I, uh, I always look for them anytime they're out. So, um, yes, I am, I am a fan, and um, I think what you're doing is quite amazing, actually. No wonder the Republicans hate you so much. Uh, well, you know, it's a badge of honour, I guess, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, mate, thank you for doing this too, by the way. I've been following world politics and, you know, world affairs and especially American politics. My son lives in, in America. He has for about the last seven years. So all of this affects me because it affects him. Where does he live? Lives in Las Vegas. Um, he's, uh, he's, oh, okay. he's, been, he's been there for about, he was in Los Angeles for a while and then he lives in Las Vegas and uh, seven years that he's been there now too. So there you go. Yeah, that's just, uh, I live in Utah, so that's just right next door to us. Aha, yeah, he, um, he loves it there. Well, it's where his work is. He's a musician, and, um, and he loves it there. Oh, so. cool. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, well, I guess I'd better introduce you properly. I had this huge introduction that I was going to do, but I won't do that. I'll just, I'll just mention the details. Reed Galen is with us, uh, a co-founder of The Lincoln Project. I've been listening to this podcast for some years. Reed is a veteran public affairs and political professional. More than 20 years experience. He's been involved in politics, government, business at some very high levels. Uh, served as deputy campaign manager for John McCain's presidential campaign. Uh, deputy campaign manager for Arnold Schwarzenegger's successful 2006 re-election campaign. And The Lincoln Project... Uh, coming up to the 2020 presidential election, made it their mission to prevent the re-election of Donald Trump and defeat all the Republicans in close races uh, running for the Senate in the United States. Okay, so that's all out. That's your bona fides, Reid. Did I get all of that right? Yeah, and it's it's hard to believe how old I am. <laughs> I hate to tell you this, Reid. I have a feeling I've seen more summers than you, but that's okay. Uh, we, we, we won't talk the numbers, not this time around. Um, something, something that struck me when I first discovered the Lincoln Project is that you guys are Republicans, albeit disaffected Republicans, and you are fighting mm. against your own, uh, own team. What was the genesis? Well, I'll tell you this. I think that everyone who started the Lincoln Project with us and everybody uh, who, as you said, was a Republican, um, you know, we all came from our own stories, right? I, I literally grew up in the Republican Party. My dad worked in politics in Washington, D.C., and I grew up in it and, uh, you know, thought I'd work in Republican politics forever. Uh, and then a guy named Donald Trump came down a golden escalator seven years ago. And I said, what's this about? And then he won the Republican nomination for president of the United States in early 2016. And I said, that was it for me. Um, if If someone who was going to be a fabulous, a liar, um, you know, intentionally divide people. And then obviously once he took office, um, you know, did everything we were all afraid he'd do and more, um, you know, it was, it was a pretty quick trip from there. And then in 2019, when we first started this, we said, look, we're really good at what we do. Um, you know, we've taken on democratic candidates all our lives. Uh, and we have a special understanding of what Donald Trump is and the kind of political animal he is. And no one was really doing the things that you needed to do, which, frankly, was just stay in his face, climb inside his head, stay there, distract him, anger him, get him to turn towards us. 
so that then, you know, Vice President Biden could run the campaign he needed to run and just convince enough Republicans across the country uh, that this was not somebody they wanted to stand with. And I'm proud to say that I think we had a small part of that. But I'm wondering, and I have wondered this myself in leading up to, to our chat, I was considering it again last night. Is it Trump himself or the fact that he has got so many followers who have literally, and the, you know, it's a cliche, drunk the Kool-Aid? I'm like, I, I don't know which offends me more, the fact that Donald Trump is there and what he has done, or that so many people are following along now. And, and of course, you know, it's, it's democracy, what you've got left at the moment, so they can vote for whomever they like. But where do you stand? Right. Um, well, I think it started, well, let me say this. I think it's, he was the Pied Piper, right? These folks, you know, a lot of them, a lot of the people who are his most fervent followers weren't really active in American politics. They didn't vote that much. They probably felt voiceless in American politics. Uh, and he provided that voice for them. He, he provided that outlet for their anger, their resentment. And, and frankly, what I think we're seeing now is their, their perceived or in, in their minds, real loss of status. Um, you know, this is mostly based on race, um, you know, uh, not even working class white Americans. They're really middle class, upper class white Americans, even some very wealthy white Americans who don't like the idea that, you know, the, the United States will soon, you know, in the next 20 or so years be, um, you know, there'll be more uh, people of color than there will be Anglos. Uh, they don't like that. I think that the world has changed a lot. I think they're uncomfortable with it. They feel put down. Um, and all of that might be, you know, a legitimate feeling, but to take it to the where he has taken them and where they've taken it, which is purely based on the idea of, you know, power, right? That's all mm -hmm. this is about now. We yep. want to be in charge. We've been in charge. We don't want to stop being in charge, and we'll do whatever we have to do to make sure we stay that way. The level of crazy that we see is just off the charts these days. And again, I wonder, did these people finish up on the TV broadcasts and various other things like Colbert and the Tonight Shows and stuff like that because they make good TV? Because we can look at them and go, oh, my God, look at these crazy people. Are they the ones who have passed the audition for the TV, uh, in effect, or is that almost the norm with the Marga Brigade? Oh, I would say that... I would say that there are, you know, there's probably three wings of the Republican Party now. There's the rump wing, for lack of a better way to put it, where I probably, if I was still there, would be, right, disaffected, unhappy with my own party, not comfortable with Democrats. Uh, I think there's Trump himself, and, and, you know, he probably commands probably 40 percent, maybe 45 percent of the party. And then I think the rest are true MAGA, right, which is they are people who have taken what Trump has said, and they have carried the banner even further. Um, you know, the, and I think you can tell a lot of this stuff. There's a lot of, um, again, a lot of it is based in race. Uh, a lot of it is based in sort of a white Christian nationalism. Uh, I think in, in this country, you can tell if they support Ukraine's fight against Russia, um, you know, then, then they're probably almost normal. If they support Russia or say that Ukraine is full of drug dealers and, you know, bio labs and all that other stuff, mm. I think you can see that they have become squarely anti-democratic, small d democratic. And so, you know, it's, it's easy to watch them and look down on them. Mm. Right. But I think one, that doesn't do anybody any good. Uh, two, I think it fuels their fire. Uh, and three, you know, if, if you're going to ridicule somebody, there's no chance to ever get them back. And are some of these people redeemably redeemable politically? I'm not sure they are, mm. um, but certainly we're never going to find a way through 
um, you know, look, we have to fight through this turbulence and we have to do everything we can to defeat these candidates and the stuff that their folks believe in at the ballot box. Uh, But at at some point, hopefully sooner than later, there's got to have to be some American reconciliation. And until and unless we can see each other as Americans first and not Democrats, Republicans, white, black, Latino, Asian, whatever it is, um, you know, it's going to be a very tough fight. Did the MAGA brigade think believe that Donald Trump actually cares about them? I hardly think that any of them would be welcome at one of his golf courses or one of his hotels or anything. Uh, am I wrong? Do you do you think that Trump does care about these people? I don't think he does individually. There was a gentleman who testified before uh, the, the American Congress's January 6th committee last week. Um, he said, I went to I went to Washington, D.C. because Trump told me to. Mm. I marched to the Capitol because Trump told me to. I left the Capitol when Trump told me to. You know, he's going to spend some time in jail. Um, does Donald Trump care about him? Donald Trump probably thinks he was a sucker for getting caught. Mm. Um, and the thing that I think we have to understand is that for Trump's supporters, you know, they don't care if he would ever spend time with them. Right. The fact is, is that he provides for them a voice they don't feel like they've ever had before. Um, they know he lies. They don't care. He lies because in the minds of a lot of Trump supporters, everybody lies. And Trump's their liar. And he gets it over. He gets over on them. Mm. Right. He gets away with it. And they love that. And now we've got the ultra maggots, which is DeSantis, who seems from what I've read, seen, etc. I mean, he seems even more dangerous than what Trump was or is. You know, a lot of people were, are talking about that. And, you know, Governor DeSantis has certainly had a lot of, you know, very positive press in the last six weeks or so. Um, I don't think that's a coincidence, given that I think his his media press people are working overtime while the January 6th committee hearings are going and making Trump look bad and worse. Um, and I think that he is method- more methodical in the way that he would do things um, but, you know, he I don't know that he necessarily has that sort of supernatural hold on these voters like Trump does. I don't know if the, if, if we were ever in a situation where, you know, Ron DeSantis told people come to Washington, D.C. for January 6th. It's going to be wild. I'm not sure they would do it, mm. if that makes sense. I mean, when Trump talks to folks, he speaks in the native language when mm. when DeSantis and a lot of these other people talk to them. They're speaking the same language, but it's like going through Google Translate, right? It's the same words, but it doesn't sound the same. Steve Bannon, and I should say that we're recording this before Steve Bannon goes to testify for the January 6th committee, uh, and we're going to come to some more of that pretty soon. He, to me, seems a bit like the puppet master. How, and, you know, and in the news this morning, uh, before I came in to have a talk to you, I saw him just railing on, on the news uh, at Chairman Thomas, calling him gutless because he won't go and see him. That, to me, seems like just more red meat to the Marga Brigade. How dangerous is Steve Bannon? I think he is an extremely dangerous individual. Um, I think that if Donald Trump is the is the sort of heart and soul of MAGA and a guy like Tucker Carlson on Fox News is sort of like the 15 year old emotional little boy who complains when he doesn't get what he wants, Mm. uh, then Steve Bannon is the architect of a lot of this stuff. He you know, his podcast is, is widely listened to. He is in contact with all of these people. Uh, so many of the people that were involved in the planning and the execution of January 6th, uh, you know, this is a guy who has tried to go to foreign countries and start, um, you know, right wing movements. He tried to found a sort of 
neo-fascist academy in Italy a few years back that got shut down. So this is a guy who is very dangerous. He's got benefactors who continue to keep him afloat financially. So, yeah, I think he's an incredibly dangerous individual. And when you see him come out of the courtroom, um, you know, whether or not it's Chairman Thompson or when he was first indicted, you know, he said, we're going to take down this regime, speaking about President Joe Biden's, Mm. you know, government. Um, This is not a guy. He's a self he's a self-avowed Leninist. I'm not talking about John Lennon. I'm talking about Vladimir. (laughs) He is someone who believes in burning down institutions and rebuilding them in some sort of dystopian vision that he has. Are these people the one, ones who just look at the world and say, we'd like it back again? They haven't realised that the world is a different place now. Is that where they're at? Well, I, I think that's a great question. First of all, the world they want back never existed. And if it did, it only existed on American television in the 1950s and 60s. Mm. And believe me, my grandmothers weren't the women portrayed on those television shows. Yeah, Ozzy right? and Harriet that, wasn't uh, exactly real, was Ozzy it? and Harriet, Donna Reed, right, yeah, mm. you know, leave it to Beaver. Yeah. You know, that stuff was all a glossy, you know, sort of sheen on America in the 1950s, which was a very dramatic decade, uh, even with Dwight Eisenhower seeming sort of like a grandfatherly figure. Mm. Um, so they, they all want this sort of gauzy rearview mirror of a history that doesn't, does not exist, which is not unusual. Right. That's not an unusual thing. You get older. Oh, remember the good old days when I was a kid and things were simpler. Right. I could go out and I could do this and yada, yada, yada. Things were cheaper. Remember when we could buy a house for this. Mm. Um, But they've taken it to a place where, you know, they don't want to go back to like 1965. They want to go back to like 1865, Mm. um, where, you know, there's a fundamental difference in culture. There's a fundamental difference in, um, you know, there's two Americas, three Americas. There was a woman who ran for governor of Georgia who lost by a lot, thankfully, in the Republican primary, who said, look, um, Jews, Buddhists, Muslims, you can pray all you want, but just be clear, you understand, like, the Christians are in charge, and we let you worship. Like, that's probably the most extreme, but it's not, out, it's not an outrageous position to be in the Republican Party anymore. Reed Galen, I'm talking with Reed uh, from the Lincoln Project, and I want to get to January 6th. I remember watching this on the news as it was happening, And I just absolutely could not believe what I was seeing. However, and here's my question, given the lead up and the heat, everything that was going on at that time, should anybody have been surprised that it escalated so badly? Um, You know, it's always easy in retrospect to say this is how it was going to turn out. Mm. Um, But we weren't surprised. I I remember, in fact, having a conversation with Mary Trump, President Trump's niece, Mm. in the summer of 2020. And I said... If he loses, is he going to go quietly? She said, absolutely not. She said, Donald, so long as he feels personally protected, like his body is safe, he'll, he'll let anything happen. And so from that moment on, we were preparing um, both organizationally and, frankly, psychologically for the idea that when he lost, he was not going to go quiet. Mm. Now, did we know it was going to end up in a January 6th? No. But does any of it from the moment, you know, the night of November 3rd, when he has said, frankly, we did win this election, mm. right, all the way through? No, none of it really surprised us. In fact, you know, most people, you may, your listeners may not know this, but um, we took upon ourselves to make sure that the law firms, the very prestigious American law firms that were helping Trump in the days after the election, we scared them off. We said, call these people, say, you shouldn't be part of something like this. Mm. And in, in just the, the week after the election, our efforts, what did we get for it? A memo from Mark Meadows, Donald Trump's chief of staff, 
to Bill Barr, the attorney general, an opposition research document marked the Lincoln Project in an email that said, here's the Lincoln Project info. Hmm. Like these people are bad. They, you know, there's an enemies list. If we're on it, I'm sure a whole bunch of other people are. Um, but these were folks who had, you know, I think they'd even started before Election Day with the planning of this. And then I think it took on a life of its own. And I'll tell you this, if any self-respecting Republican had at any point between November 3rd and January, let's say December 31st, had said, Joe Biden is the president-elect, Joe Biden is the president-elect, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do this, January 6th probably doesn't happen. Mm. But they did what they've done since 2016, which is sit back and hope that the tiger won't eat them. And as you know, the tiger always eats you. Chairman Thompson has said uh, several times, I've listened to a number of the days of the testimony from the the select committee, and he says people must hear this. Now, Fox News, to the best of my information, uh, and and, I mean, I refuse to watch them. Fox News is one of the great oxymorons of our time, I think. But, you know, are people getting the information? Are they listening? And is the dial shifting? Uh, Yes, I think they are listening. So remember that Fox News initially was not going to air the hearings. Mm. They said, this is all a hoax. This is all a witch hunt. We're not going to show it. And on that first night, 20 million Americans tuned in Mm. to watch it live. And Fox, even Fox, right? What do they care more about anything? Numbers. Mm. And they said, oh, gosh, okay, so we've got to show this. Remember, too, though, and this is where some of this sort of this, like, you know, high-stakes politics and everything else. Rupert Murdoch, famous Australian, and his son Lachlan – have no real love for Donald Trump. Oh no! So if showing this, if showing these hearings puts Trump deeper and deeper in a hole and makes it tougher and tougher for him to run for president again, and it boosts the, the you know the the prospects of, of someone like a Ron DeSantis who they clearly favored, they're all for that. And then they'll have their people go on and talk about how you know this person did that and this person did that, but you don't ever hear him talking about like they they're not they don't defend Donald Trump. Anymore. Mm. Um, now, is it is it coming through? I think it is because you're starting to see it in surveys uh, across the country where, you know, a majority of Americans, including oftentimes almost a majority of Republicans say, if Donald Trump did these things, he should be prosecuted for them. Mm. And I think you're also seeing that that other Republicans who might run for president are getting a little bit more airtime. I think that you're seeing that, you know, everybody says it's going to be a, the Republican bloodbath this November here in our primary or excuse me, our midterm elections. I think that all of this is having sort of a depressed effect, not with the true MAGA folks that you were talking about, but I think those soft Republicans who voted for Trump in 2016 because they couldn't vote for Hillary Clinton didn't like Trump by 2020, so they voted for Joe Biden and now just want him to go away. Mm. And I think you're seeing a lot of that. There's a lot of Republicans who want to turn the page on him. Unfortunately, they don't outnumber the voters. Mm. There's been books, there's been a number of papers uh, written about whether Donald Trump actually wanted to be president. There was a thing that I saw from Howard Stern where he said that uh, they were looking at cancelling The Apprentice and Trump thought, oh, hang on, I've got to do something to make some noise here. I'll run for president. That'll get me some headlines. Nobody thought that he was going to win. There was a book that was written that apparently Melania on, on election night was screaming at him, you told me this wasn't going to happen. Do you think he wanted to be president, expected to be president? No and no. Um, I don't I, I don't think you're right. I think it, he probably convinced himself it was the greatest marketing gag in the history of the world. Um, you know, he would always go down as somebody who had transformed American politics and come this close to winning the presidency. 
um, but wasn't going to have to deal with actually being president, could go back to his regular life, be famous, be rich, all this. But now he's president, and now he realizes, oh, wait, I, I help control the world. Um, I can do all these things. His, his family, right, Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, his kids, they're all making more money than they've ever seen. And now he's like, well, I don't want to give it up. Mm. And he also knows that why doesn't he want to give it up? Because um, back to Ukraine, right, he tried to extort Vladimir Zelensky, mm. um, you know, to try and, you know, find dirt on Joe Biden. Um, then he instigated a, you know, a coup, an attempted coup on January 6, 2021. And now he probably wants to run again. From what we hear, there was a, an article in Rolling Stone here yesterday that said he wants to run again because he thinks it'll protect him from prosecution. Well, of course he thinks that. Yep. Um, because that's how he sees things. Not in a good, not whether or not he wants to serve the American people. Not whether or not he thinks he's good for the country. Not whether he thinks he has something to offer. But simply because it's for his own benefit, which is what he's always been. I mean, this guy's not a secret. He's been this guy for 50 years mm. publicly. Yep. Right. So the idea that somehow we think he's suddenly, you know, a tiger, that there are a leopard that's changed his spots. You know, he's just older and crankier and crazier. I've read a couple of things from some lawyers who said that it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he could be charged with second degree manslaughter for a couple of different things. One, ignoring Mm -hmm. and lying about COVID-19 to the people. And secondly, that he was complicit because and listening to Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony and some of the things that Pat Cipollone has said as well, they knew what was going on on January 6th. Uh, is is that talk uh, too soon, too much? I think so. And I think, you know, again, not being a, a lawyer of any kind, it's, there's also probably many other things that would be far more, uh, you know, likely to be proven in a court, whether or not, again, you know, seditious conspiracy. Again, if if he if he was in on the organizing of this and then he sat in his office for three hours, you know, with the with the ability to deploy National Guard forces or federal forces to stop it. And he didn't, you know, he could be complicit in that. Um, I've also heard that, you know, maybe would he be, you know, you know, you know, involuntary manslaughter for the deaths of five Capitol Police officers. Mm. Um, And so but, you know, also his his campaign committee raised two hundred and fifty million dollars between Election Day and January 6th, saying it was an election defense fund, when in fact there wasn't. So I talked to a former you know, Justice Department prosecutor who said they could get him on wire fraud, which for us you know, doesn't seem like much, but you know, at $250 million and however many emails they sent, it's five years per charge, mm. right? So like, you know, just remember the old, the old gangster, the American gangster yeah. Al Capone. Right? Al Capone. They didn't get him for murder or bootlegging. They got him for tax evasion. Like, mm. I don't care how they get him, right? Mm. Uh, let's give you a kind of a what if. Let's say the DOJ brings charges. That is going to put another spark to the powder keg and America could be in a worse situation. I mean, there's been talk of civil war. And again, I don't know if that's too much and too soon. But if and I don't think that the select committee can actually recommend charges. Uh, I believe that's the case. But if the DOJ looks at everything and goes, hey, hang on. Look at look at this. Then the MAGA brigade and the militias and the, the, the crazies, they will just go nuts. Yeah, this is one of those where I think, um, you know, you have to take the medicine. Um, if if he if 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 a United States, if a prosecutor, right, if a government prosecutor in the United States thinks they can get you, they'll indict you. 
right? Mm. But they're very methodical. They want to make sure they're going to get that conviction before they charge you with a crime. That's how they operate. Mm. Um, and I would venture to say there's probably a lot of U.S. attorneys in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere who are working on this, you know, very quietly, very behind the scenes. Um, and so, yeah, it will make Trump will say, see, it's a it's a political hit job. Joe Biden, you know, he says he's a good guy, but he's using the government to take, you know, to take on, you know, take me on. Um, but here's the flip side. If they don't, he'll say, see, the whole thing was a hoax. They never had anything on me. It's just the deep state out to get me. It was a, you know, a witch hunt, blah, 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 blah. You know, once in a while, um, you know, history dictates that you do things that you'd otherwise not do. But I'll tell you this, when, th- when necessary things, you know, are talked about, but they say, we should do this, but we won't because we're afraid of the other thing, mm. you always get the other thing. You always get the thing you don't want, right? Mm. Um, and so, you know, is there a good way to do this? No, there's no good way to do this. But I'll tell you, holding Donald Trump to account if there are charges to be brought is a far more, if shocking, thing, probably, uh, you know, healthy requirement for the country to get back to some sense of normalcy after nearly a decade. Mm. Let's talk about Joe Biden. Uh, I I saw this morning that his approval rating for the economic approval is 30%. That's lower than Obama and what Mm -hmm. Trump was too. He's certainly got some problems. 9% inflation, the cost of living with, with petrol prices. How much of all of this political thing that we've been talking about for the last 30 minutes is on people's minds? Mr. and Mrs. Joe Average, they're trying to put food on the table. They're trying to maintain their jobs. Uh, Roe v. Wade is a big thing. I I now see ads from women attacking uh, uh, the Republican Party. Uh, But all of these hearings and everything else that goes with it, Reid, is it secondary to Mr. and Mrs. Average in the suburbs? Um, I would say this. it is probably marginally, but marginally is where it would matter most, which is if there are three or four percent of American voters who are upset with the Democratic Party or upset with Joe Biden, but they see Roe v. Wade and they're worried about what comes next, or they've seen the insanity of Donald Trump and the people around him, and there's a lot of Republican candidates that sound like him and look like him and talk like him, um, then those people could stay home. Or they could hold their nose and say, I'm going to vote for the Democrat because I may not like him, but these other guys are crazy. Mm. Um, you know, and I think you're right. But I think the other part, too, is that what you're seeing is, is that there seems to be a disconnection between President Biden's approval ratings and how Democrats are faring so far with voters, which is in a lot of these big races, they're, they're either tied or slightly ahead, mm. which you would think if you have a president of your own party at 30%, you should be getting crushed everywhere. Now, that doesn't mean it won't happen. Mm. It just means that I think that for all of the headwinds that Democrats have, Republicans' insanity, not only on Roe v. Wade, um, but all of the other craziness they talk about, um, I think is just giving voters pause. I mean, I, I don't know if this is be the case, but just think about the French election earlier this year mm. where where Emmanuel Macron won by a, a, a very healthy margin over Marine Le Pen. Mm. And what did French voters say? And this is such a French voter thing to say. I don't like Macron at all, but that Marine Le Pen, she's nuts. I want nothing to do with her. <laughs> and that very well could be where American voters are, which is, you know, we're sort of damned if we're do- we do and damned if we don't. But I'd rather take the guy that, like, talks like a human being as an adult than the guy who, you know, stormed the Capitol. I have no idea, Reid, how anyone 
anything is going to bring America together. From what I've seen in the last five years, the country seems to be more and more divided with every day that goes by. Uh, Fair assessment? Um, I think it is, but I think it's, it's, it is, but I would say this, it is too much, um, too much of it comes from the people who have the loudest voices on both the far right and the far left. Mm. The far right concerns me more because I think that they have a predilection to violence that they may use. Um, but look, I travel this country. I, I've been to, I don't know how many states in the last six or seven months. And the one thing that I can tell you that unites Americans, the vast majority of Americans, is they want both both of the crazies. They want all the craziness to stop. Mm. They're sick of it. Mm. And, and so d- does that concern me? Um, does, does the fractiousness concern me? It does. But I'll tell you, hearing that over and over and over again, it doesn't matter if it's in the East Coast, the West Coast, the South, the North, whether or not it's African Americans, white Americans, Latinos, Republicans, Democrats, independents, they all, so many people are feeling that way that I think that means that, the, that maybe finally, A, the center will hold and B, that it's waking up. And, you know, as, as we tell a lot of our Republican friends, look, you don't have to be a Democrat. I'm not a Democrat, right? I'm an independent. Mm. But in this moment, I need you to vote for that person. It doesn't make you a Democrat, doesn't make you a communist. It just says in this moment, you chose to put your country over your party. And we only need a few thousand Republicans in all of these key states and all of these key races to do that. And I think we can get them to do that. And will it solve all our problems? Far from it. Right. But the whole point of a democracy, as you know, is not to get everything you want all the time, but to be able to have the argument. And right now we can't even have the argument. And you've got confirmation bias. I can't see that changing. Like the people who watch Fox News and Tucker Carlson every night, they've probably never heard of the Lincoln Project. Or if they have, they talk about it, you know. In, oh, they've, in, in, they, they've heard of us. Yeah, they? yeah they, they talk about it in derisive, <laughs> uh, derisive terms. Uh, I don't think you're going to get any Christmas cards from these people. So, I mean, the confirmation bias, I said before, I refuse to watch Fox News. I think it's just ridiculous. I watch CNN. Uh, and despite the fact that I've been involved in this uh, industry for a long, long time, I still believe about half of what I see, read and hear in the news. I want to get this and that and da-da-da-da-da. Confirmation bias is not going away. The people who believe the, 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 the big lie, they are not suddenly one day going to go, you know what, Reed Galen was right. I think I'm going to change my attitude here. No, I think you're right. I think that's a longer process. Uh, that probably comes at the end of many, many Republican defeats, um, you know, for elected office. But I would also say the confirmation bias thing is also very dangerous. And I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. I think it's a great point for a lot of, you know, a, a lot of Americans who sit can say, oh, that person's so crazy. They'll never win. I don't have to vote. Like, mm. never say that again. That's how we ended up with Donald Trump. Yeah. Donald Trump can never win. Right. And look. I, I thought I thought Hillary Clinton was going to get 340 electoral votes. Right? You're talking to a guy who's supposed to know what this means, mm. and I got it wrong as wrong as anybody, maybe worse. Mm. And so, yeah, you're, I think it's a hugely important piece to say, well, this person is way outside the mainstream. They talk like Trump. They were, you know, there's a couple of these candidates who were at the Capitol on January 6th. That makes them more popular with their base voters, not less. Mm. And and so the idea of well. You know, he's so crazy he can't get elected that we should take that and erase it from our collective memories. Um, Just because they're crazy in the United States today doesn't mean they can't get elected. And I will also say this. 
with the confirmation bias also comes a normalcy bias, which is I just want to believe that everything's normal and this is just a little blip on the radar screen and it'll move on. It never moves on unless you do something to make sure it does. As I mentioned before, we're, we're talking before Steve Bannon goes to the January 6th Select Committee. What do you expect from him? Um, I would expect that if he actually does testify, right, um, that he will make it a he will make it a um, a circus. That uh, I would uh, that's not something I would recommend that the committee allow. Um, they've got to know that this is a man who's a showman. He will take every question and, you know, bang his shoe on the table and, you know, unleash diatribes on the committee and the president and democracy and tell his people, you know, it just gives him a platform I don't think he deserves and I think is too dangerous. Um, so what will he say? I think he'll say whatever he thinks is going to get his people most fired up, and I think that's a bad idea. Yep, more red meat. There you go. Have some more. Take this out there. There'll be headlines everywhere. He'll be back on his radio show again, uh, jumping up and down, and it's it's more red meat. But we might we might I might see if I can get you back after that uh, event. Two final points for uh, sure. for you, Reid. Uh, one, does Trump get the nomination, and does he run in twenty twenty four? What do you think? Crystal ball time. Um, I think he will run. Um, and I think if he runs, you know, if I'm looking at my crystal ball, it's hard to believe that anybody beats him for the Republican nomination. Boy, oh boy. I mean, look, we're a long, we're a long way from anything, right? I mean, we're 18 months from the Iowa caucuses and, you know, 19 months from the New Hampshire primary, but it's hard, you know, you don't need to win 90% of primary voters you need to win more one more than the next guy Mm. and if it's donald trump versus a bunch of other guys who are carving up those votes and none of them are gonna drop out and none of them will um you know he could win with 35 he could win with 40 percent, which is frankly what he did in 2016 Mm. yeah Uh, uh, what about biden for 2024 (sighs) too 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 soon to say my my very inarticulate gut says that if Donald Trump runs again and looks like he's going to win the nomination, it would not surprise me to see President Biden run again as well. Mm. Um, if you were sitting across the table now from Donald Trump, let's go, we'll go, we'll go the head honcho. If you were sitting across the table from him now, what would you say? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, uh uh, you know, uh, you've left me speechless. I don't, I can't, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to think about that all night now. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I no, don't be sorry. It's a great way you stumped me. I don't know because I don't know that anything I could say. I mean, I guess I call him a loser. I try and get a rise out of him, but I don't know. I, he's so impervious to most normal human interaction. I'm not even sure what I'd say to him. Great question. Thank you. I, I wonder if he doesn't get the nomination, he just goes away. Right, he basically goes away. We hope. Uh, then he'd be suffering what uh, a former senator in Australia called relevance deprivation. Surely he wouldn't allow that to happen. I think you're right about that, and I think remember that this is this is not a person who, you know, was a longtime Republican. Right, he saw the Republican Party as you know a slow-moving vehicle he could carjack. And that's what he did. He, he carjacked the Republican Party. He took it over and he's n- damn near driven it over a cliff. If he were to run for the nomination and lose, 
it would not surprise me if he spent the next however many months saying so-and-so is a loser. They stole it from me. Stay home. You'd rather have whoever the Democrats are running than somebody who stole an election from me. Because remember, he doesn't he doesn't care. Mm. It's all about him. Mm. And in the idea that he would just sit idly by and and, you know, support somebody who beat him fair and square in election. I just don't see it. I think, yeah, his relevance would be causing untold problems for Republicans. Well, the world is an interesting place at the moment, and I have no idea what the next couple of months and certainly the next 12 or 24 months is going to be like. Uh, Reid, this has uh, made my day, being able to talk to you. Thank you so much. I will continue to be listening to the Lincoln Project, and I hope we can get you back sometime in the future to have another chat. No, thanks so much, and thanks for having me. Take care. Reid Galen, The Lincoln Project. I would recommend to you the podcast. It is uh, it is very, very interesting. And also, they've got the uh, daily, I think there's been six now hearings. There's going to be some more for the January 6th committee. Have a listen especially to the one from Cassidy Hutchinson. Uh, and uh, you will it'll spin your head around. It is absolutely astounding, the testimony that she offered. And there's more as well. Thank you very much for being with us uh, on Triple M. All right, talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.